Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. If you're just walking in right now, good morning. (laughs) Glad that you're here. We started a little earlier. If you're just now tuning in online, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're starting a little early, but many of you guys got the memo and you're here and you're ready to worship and that's a fantastic thing. Summer is here, the sun is here, and we just want to get these uh, services going a little earlier, um, which also means you get to get out a little bit earlier, um, which is a good opportunity for you, of course, to invite a friend to church and then say, let's go to brunch afterwards. Or if you come to the 1030 service, say, hey, come to church with me and let's go to lunch afterwards and you will beat the lunch rush. Okay, so there you go. You're welcome. But before you start thinking about lunch plans and food, and I start to lose you, let's get back to the study we're going to be looking at today. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5 in your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible today, hopefully you received the handout on your way in. It has the passage printed there for you. Luke chapter 5 is the passage we're going to be looking at today. If you are here this last week, you know that we started a brand new series called Unstuck. And the idea is this, that we all face without exception, certain challenges in life that cause us to feel stuck. King David, in the Bible, when he felt the pressure of challenges in his life, he described it as feeling stuck in a slimy pit, with his feet stuck in mud and mire. And some of you know what that is like. When you face certain challenges in your life, In your experience, it causes you to feel stuck. And so what we get to do is look at the common challenges that we all face that can cause us to feel very stuck. But what we want to do at the same time is to look to Jesus because in Jesus we can have hope even in the midst of those challenging moments of our life. Because in Jesus we have a firm place to stand and we have a promise from a Savior who wants to walk with us. When we get stuck, we don't know which way to turn. We don't know which way to go. But with Jesus, he says, walk with me. Just take a step forward and he can direct us. And so what we want to do in the midst of our challenges is say, let's look to Jesus. Let's let him be central in our lives so that when we face these challenges, we don't feel so stuck. That's what we get to do uh, together. Now, if you're here this last week, you know that we looked at the challenge of temptation The challenge of temptation, and this is an important one for us to look at because at a certain level, in every single challenge that we face in life, there is an element of temptation that comes with it. At core, at every challenge, at every point of crisis or critical moment of life, there is a a temptation that comes, a temptation to um, question God's care, a temptation to doubt his wisdom, or a temptation to challenge his oversight. And so it's important that we say, Jesus, how did you face temptation? We looked at that together. The good news for you and I is that we have the same resources that Jesus had when he was victorious over temptation. We have the word of God and we have the spirit of God. But beyond that, we also have Jesus who intercedes for us on our behalf and he walks with us and he's a sympathetic high priest. He knows our weakness. He knows the challenge. He himself was tempted so we can come to him with our temptations. He gets it. And he says, let me walk with you. We can approach him with confidence. And this is a good thing because we need him, don't we? We desperately need him. And today's challenge is a reminder of that as well. 
because today we're going to be looking at the challenge of disease, illness and disease, which is something that there's probably not a single person here who hasn't at some level had to face that challenge in your life or in the life of someone that you love very deeply. All of us have had to face this, this challenge. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where we see that challenge of disease come to an individual, someone personally, because sometimes disease comes to us, but also we're going to look at a passage where you see disease come to someone that you love desperately. For some of you, you know very, very um, acutely that sense of um, overwhelmedness, that sense of being stuck when disease comes to you. You remember vividly being in that doctor's office when you're talking to the physician and the physician says to you, you know what, the test didn't come back the way that we were hoping, so we need you to come back in. And, and then, you know, the conversation goes on and you just begin to, you know, not even, it, it, life just goes in slow motion because all of a sudden you're hearing words like biopsy and you're hearing other scary words that you never wanted to hear for yourself. And all of a sudden you're overwhelmed by this reality of disease and it changes your life. Some of you know what it's like to have disease come to someone else that you love, and it's maybe even more traumatic. It's the mom who has a 12-year-old son, and they get the call from school. The call comes to mom and says, your son has had a seizure. And while the mom is on the phone trying to process the fact that her son has had a seizure, she's also trying to think at the same time, how am I going to explain to my son what a seizure is and that he may have seizures for the rest of his life? Maybe you remember the moment when you found out that someone you love deeply has Alzheimer's, someone that you care about has Lou Gehrig's, someone that you love has some disease that you've never heard of before, but they have it. And you, you know that feeling of overwhelmness, this feeling of being stuck. So truly, disease, illness, sickness, it touches all of our lives. The question is, how can we move forward even in the midst of that challenge with hope. And the only answer to that is with Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a passage. The passage is found in Luke chapter 5. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to please stand for the reading of Scripture. We do it to remind ourselves that this is God's authoritative word. I'll share some words in a little bit, hopefully to explain it, but this is God's word that we listen to and we, we hear and respond to. So Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, all the way down to verse 26. Let me read it for you. It says this. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone. But go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. 
Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Two cases of disease, one where disease comes to someone personally and the other where a disease comes to someone uh, that people love and care for. Uh, and so some, a, a loved one. And so that's what this uh, is really about. And at the same time, we see Jesus in the center of it all. So that's what we want to uh, focus on, of course. Look at, look at verse 12 with me. This is where it begins. This story begins with this says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So the highlighted part here is what I want you to see first. It says that a man came to Jesus and he was covered with leprosy. And this is the beginning point of our understanding of this encounter. We have Jesus and we have a man who comes to him with leprosy. That's, the, that's all we know about this guy. A man who comes covered with leprosy. But the truth is, this guy has a backstory, doesn't he? I mean, we just know him as a guy who's coming to Jesus who's got leprosy. But he has a story. He has, in fact, a past. And I know think sometimes we just say, okay, the guy that's sick comes to Jesus and let's go. But to, to stop for a moment to say, but this is a guy who had a disease. And it changed his life radically. We don't know his full backstory, but it's very likely that he was a husband, that he was a father, maybe a grandfather. It's very likely that he had a job and a house in the city. All of these things were true, but the moment that he had this disease and he found out that he had leprosy, everything changed for him. That, that his, his world went up, turned upside down. And leprosy, by the way, really in, in Scripture, it covers a whole range of diseases, but all of them are fearful and all of them are, 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 um, are, are really are, are terrible things to get. In fact, I don't know if you notice this in the Bible, but the Bible treats leprosy a little bit differently. If you notice, when Jesus uh, has, sees a sick person, he heals the sick person. But when he comes to a leper, what does he do? He cleanses a leper. Do you, do you see that? Have you ever seen that, dis, that difference there? He heals the sick, but he cleanses a leper. Why is that? 
What does it mean to be cleansed? Well, the idea is this is because leprosy was one of those things that's to be, really, it's a, it's a whole pollution of your, of your body. So it wasn't just a body thing. It was a social thing, a spiritual thing. And so there was this, this larger sense. In fact, Jewish law stated that if you were a leper, you had leprosy, you were unclean. That is, you could no longer um, participate in any social gathering. You could no longer participate in any religious worship. You could no longer um, be with people because if they touched you, then they would be unclean. And so they were forced to live in isolation outside of the city alone. And so it was a, it was a terrible, terrible disease. This past week in our high school ministry, um, I, ha- I got a chance to be there with the students. And one of the students who's a senior in our high school ministry shared with the group. And he talked about this passage, but it was a parallel passage found in Mark about this leper. And he was telling the, the, his fellow students about leprosy and how terrible it was to be isolated and alone. And he likened it to COVID. He said, you, you, and he was talking to the students, you remember how hard it was to be isolated and alone? And, you know, to be quarantined if you got COVID for two weeks, imagine being quarantined for the rest of your life. And the students got it. They understood. That's That's terrible. This is a harsh reality. And so this is the place where this guy is. He's, he's been um, pushed out of society, and it's, it's very overwhelming. And that's what disease can do. It, disease can be very overwhelming, not just physically, but in many other ways. Perhaps you've been there where you've had a certain disease or certain illness come to you, and it's very overwhelming to you physically. But it's not just overwhelming to you physically. It's also overwhelming to you financially. And that's a real burden. It's overwhelming. It's not just physical or financial, but for some of you, it's also had a huge toll on you emotionally. You've been there in that doctor's office when the doctor says cancer. It's a huge emotional burden that you now carry and the people around you carry as well. So it's very overwhelming. And that's the circumstance that this man is in. And it's, and it's in his desperation and it's in this, this spot that he boldly comes to Jesus and it says that um, in, in this passage, it says uh, um, that he, he's, he's covered with leprosy. Luke, by the way, is a doctor. He's a physician. So, of course, he's going to talk about the medical condition. He's full of it. He's covered with leprosy. And he comes to Jesus boldly. That's the second part of this verse that I want you to see. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground. And he begged him and he says this, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What an incredible statement of faith. And there's really three dimensions to this statement that I want you to see because it's so powerful what he does when he comes to Jesus. He begins, notice, he says, Lord, is the first thing he says. That is, he recognizes I'm subject to Jesus, that he's Lord and I'm not. And every single one of us, when we face the, the challenge of disease, we still in that moment have to recognize, but Jesus, you're Lord. And this had to pass through your will. And so we just have to stop and get that, that sense of, okay, God, you're God, and I'm not. But then at the same time, what he says, I'm Lord, and he's subject to Jesus, he also says this, if you are willing. If you are willing. You could also translate that if you want to. That is, he's coming to him saying, hey, this is, this is uh, I'm coming to you not demanding but saying, if you want to, he's coming with an appeal. 
And that's, that's an important thing for us to get. When we come and we ask God for healing, it's not a, a right for us to have healing, but it is something we can ask for. It is something that we can say, God, I'm going to yield to you if you want to. I'm going to trust not only to, to be subject to you, your Lord, but I also am yielding to your will, what you want. And he's coming to him saying what you want. And he's, sub, he's subjecting himself to God's will, God's desire. But then the last part, you can make me clean. That is, there's real true faith that God can. And I think that's important that we get to. There's this boldness. God, your Lord, I yield to you. But you know what? You're powerful. You can. It's not a demand. It's a request. And that's what we see. There's utterly no demand in this. Look at the, looking back to this next part here. I highlighted it for you. It says, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. There's no sense in which he's saying, I demand this from you, Lord. Healing. He's coming requesting. Requesting your Lord. If you're willing, you can. That's the get. That's the faith statement that he makes. It's very, very powerful. And this is, and this is what he comes. He says, he says, God, I'm coming to you, and I'm, I'm requesting this. Now, um, the, the next verse is we see Jesus' uh, response, which is remarkable in verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. This is a remarkable thing because this moment... There's people around Jesus, of course, and a, and a leper who was coming would have to cry out unclean, and they, were, they had to have unkempt hair and you know, shredded clothes so they could be known as a leper, um, so people would know to avoid them. He's coming, and um, he's coming to Jesus, and everyone is backing up. They're going, whoa, 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 leper. You know, in, in this time, the rabbis, um, they wouldn't interact with a leper unless there was six feet distance. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Unless there is six feet different distance. They're like, we're not going to interact with you. So this guy's coming. Everyone is backing out. I'm certain there are people picking up rocks to throw it at the guy if he gets too close to him. Because if they touch him, they, he, could, he, he touches them, he, they, he could be stoned. But he has this boldness and he comes right up to Jesus and he falls to Jesus' feet. And Jesus doesn't follow the six-foot distancing rule, Okay. And that's what's so shocking. That's what is so shocking in this moment because what Jesus does is he reaches out and he touches the man. He grabs him. And, and it would have been a different story, wouldn't it have been, if Jesus had said, okay, okay sir, why don't you, you stand over there. I'm going to come over here and I'm going to come up with a plan to heal you. It would have been a completely different story. But instead, Jesus does the shocking thing and he touches the man. And then he talks to him which is an important order of ministry, isn't it? That touch comes before talk. That it's important to say, how can I reach your needs, care for you, touch your personal life before I start talking to you? When someone gets sick, we want to tell them all about the Lord immediately. And that's not a bad thing. But don't skip over the order of ministry here that Jesus models for us. You touch, you care, then you earn the right to talk. That's the important thing that we see. So Jesus, he touches the man, and then he speaks to him. He says, I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He says, I am willing. Isn't that powerful? I want to, is what Jesus says. Now, here's the surprising thought. Sometimes Jesus doesn't want to. And this is the mistake of all the faith healers out there. 
Because their presentation is that Jesus always wants you healed. That Jesus always wants to heal you. But you know what is true for every single faith healer out there? Guess what happens to them? They die. Every single one of them. Well, if Jesus always wants you healed, why don't you lay hands on yourself? I mean, you could keep rolling for a long time. It'd be really, you know, what an impact you would have. But here's the reality. Sometimes Jesus doesn't want to. And we don't get that. We don't fully understand it. But sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. The Apostle Paul in in 2 Corinthians 12, he's he's coming to Jesus with a, a, a prayer request. And it's very clear. He wants healing. Three different times, Jesus says, God says, no, I'm not going to heal you. We don't understand the full picture of it. I know that the Apostle Paul knows that part of it is because it, it, so it keeps him from being puffed up and being conceited, but we don't know the full part of it. But, the, but there's, there's, there's part of it that just, God says, no. See, for every person that Jesus healed, there's thousands of people that Jesus didn't heal. And that's, that's important for us to just recognize and understand that sometimes he's willing and sometimes he's not. And we don't fully understand that. But in the midst of that, it doesn't mean that we still don't come to him and ask. Because we don't know if he wants to or not. So we still come, not demanding, but we ask. And we come believing. Not praying a prayer that, ah, you know, I don't really believe that this will ever happen anyway. But we come in faith. And we say, God, you're Lord. And if you're willing, you can. That's the whole idea, that we come, that we come to him. Now, it says that it says in this passage that immediately, um, uh, sorry, go back to the first verse, that next verse. It says, and immediately the leprosy left him. Does God always answer immediately? No, not always. But that's also why this passage is here, because it's a remarkable moment where Jesus immediately heals this, this guy from his leprosy, and, and, he, and it, leprosy leaves him. Now, the next verse, let's look at it. It said, Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for you um, for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So he says to the guy, don't, sh- don't tell anybody what I've done. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the priests and offer the necessary sacrifices for someone who's been healed of, of, of leprosy. And I want it to be a testimony to them. And it truly would have been a testimony to them. Because if a guy walks in to um, the, you know, the temple and there's the priest there and the guy says, Hey, I, I've, been, I've been cleansed of leprosy. And I need to go through the, the process and the sacrifices for it. Um, can you help me with that? The priests would all of a sudden been scratching their heads going, whoa, healed from leprosy. They need to go back and re- refresh her on this one. You know, what, what, were the, what is the pre- prescribed sacrifices and the process for that? Because I've not done this before. This is Messiah kind of stuff. Exactly. That's the whole point. That this is God's stuff. When people are healed of leprosy, when, when, when the, the blind receive sight, this is testimony that, oh, there's some, there's, the Messiah is here. This is God's stuff. 
And it would have been a testimony to them as they're going through the process. Now, what is the process? What were the sacrifices? If you're a note taker, you can go to Leviticus 13 and 14, um, read about it. It's the sacri- there's some, a, a process and a sacrifice, a, a process that would happen to, when someone is examined and to be declared cleansed from leprosy. And part of that process, um, the person would come, with two diff- would, would come with two birds and one bird would be killed. And the other bird, the, the living bird, would be dipped in the blood of the bird, the, the bird that died. And then after the person who um, was examined from, and, be, and declared cleansed of, lep, of leprosy, the idea that that bird that had been dipped in the blood would then be released into the air as a, as a symbol to heaven, a testimony that they'd been released, they'd been freed. And the whole point is this, that there was death so that there was life. That there was this, this sacrifice so that the, someone could live and there was this testimony to be given over that. And that's what the, the, the process was as they're declared cleansed of leprosy. So this is the, 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 um, the, the sacrifice, the process that they were to go through to be a testimony to, the, the, um, to them. Now, he's, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. But when you look at the next verse, you're like, ah, I think he probably told some people. Let's look at verse 15. It says this. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds came to him and hear him to be healed of their sickness. So um, obviously he told someone or someone did. The news spread even though Jesus said don't tell. Now it's interesting by the way. We live in a time when Jesus is not saying don't tell. He's in fact saying do tell everyone. But we live in a time where people aren't telling. And so it's a challenge for us, too, to say, ah, we live in, a freedom, in, the, in the freedom and the time to say, oh, let's tell everyone what Jesus has done, and let's not be afraid to do that, just like we see modeled for us here. Now, um, the next verse says this, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So after this, there are people, who crowds who are coming that want to be healed. When they found out, whoa, Jesus healed a leper? Now, all of a sudden, people are coming out of the woodwork. They're all coming, trying to find Jesus because they want to be healed as well. What does Jesus do? He retreats. He goes back into a lonely place and he prays. And if you're a note taker, if you want to take notes in your Bible or on your notes, you could write this. If he did, I should. If he retreated to lonely places and prayed, if he did, I should. It's a good thing for us to stop and say, okay, if Jesus did that, maybe I should. Instead of saying, no, I got this, I'll take it, I, I, you know, instead of uh, doing it independently, Jesus models for us, no, I depend on the Father. I need to pray. I need those times to retreat, those times to be centered so that I can stay focused on my purpose. The question is, well, what's Jesus' purpose? Did he come to heal people? Yeah, he did come to heal some people, but he came to bring salvation to everyone. That's his purpose. So yes, he came to heal some, but he came, he came to bring forgive, uh, sorry, salvation and forgiveness to all. That's his purpose. And he cannot be diverted from that purpose. So he stops and he prays so that he can stay on mission, so he can be focused on that purpose that God has called him to. So that's what, that's what, that's what he does now. 
It's one thing, of course, when disease comes to us, but it's a whole other thing when we see disease come to someone else that we love. And that's the next part of this passage. Look at it with me. It says this. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So Jesus is teaching here, and all these people are coming together. It kept saying Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. It's boom, boom, boom. All these people are traveling and coming to see Jesus. And who's coming? It's the teachers and the Pharisees lost, the senior pastors and the seminary professors. That's who's coming. They've heard about this guy, Jesus, and they're clearly going, man, all these, all these little people in Galilee, they don't know what they're de- dealing with here. So let's let the, you know, the professionals come in and we'll, 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 we'll spot out the errors and we'll see Jesus and we'll catch him in a trap. That's the whole thing. So there's great tension that's been building. The, obviously, the people in Galilee can't do it, so let's bring in all the seminary professors, the, you know, the senior pastors. They're going to come. They're going to listen to Jesus. Now, it's interesting. They're coming to listen to Jesus, but not to learn. They're coming to listen to try to catch him. And so that's kind of a sad state, but it's a, it's, it is the reality. And then the next verse says this. Some men came carrying, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. So there's this large crowd that are they're, um, coming to hear Jesus, and it's, but there's still people want Jesus to heal, heal them. And it says here that there's a paralyzed man that comes. Now, he can't come on his own, obviously. He's paralyzed. So he has his friends who are carrying him on a mat. And it says some friends, we know from other accounts that it's four friends, right? One for each side corner of the mat, I guess. And they're, they're carrying him and there's four friends that are coming and they can't get to Jesus because the crowd is there. But I love the fact that they, they don't stop. It doesn't keep them from wanting to carry their friend to Jesus, which is a really powerful thing. Now, next verse, it says this. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. What, a, what, a, what an incredible <laughs> scene this would have been. There's four friends, and they are determined to get their friend to Jesus. They're like, we can't get through the crowd. So one friend comes up with this brilliant idea. Let's climb up on the roof and like break through the roof and drop our friend down. Hopefully not too hard, but right there in front of Jesus so he could heal him. That's what their their brilliant idea. And so I kind of want friends like that, but also kind of don't at the same time, right? There's... They're a little crazy, but well, I love it. They want, to, they want to get their friend of Jesus. So they climb up on the roof, and the roof has layers. There's rafters, there's tiles, and then there's dirt and grass. And so they're pulling up the dirt and grass. They're pulling out these tiles big enough for their, to, to lower their friend. They get some ropes. I don't know where. They're, they're creative. They're getting some ropes. They're lowering their friend now in front of Jesus. And you can imagine the scene in the house Jesus is teaching. People are going, what the, what the heck is going on, right? They're going, why is all this crud falling down from the roof? Just imagine that here. What a distraction that would be if things start falling down. And I'm sure you guys know it. The lady of the house, how's she feeling right now? She wants to kill somebody, doesn't she? And in this, this, this scene, and everyone's watching the scene, and they're looking at the mess, but Jesus is not looking at the mess. Look at what he's looking at. Verse, the next verse, it says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus isn't looking at the mess. What he sees is the, the faith of the friends. He sees their faith. 
This is powerful. He, he, he sees their faith and he, he responds. And he can't really see them, by the way. He see the guy lowered down, but he sees what they're doing. And you're saying, well, what kind of faith do they have? Are they praying really hard? No. What they're doing is lowering their friend in front of Jesus. They're carrying. And so listen, the kind of faith that Jesus sees here isn't necessarily just the praying faith, but it's the carrying faith. And I think that's important for us to see with our friends who are sick, who are dealing with the challenge of disease. Sometimes you've been there. I don't even know how to pray right now. Okay, but you can carry them. Sometimes the best faith response is just to simply say, how can I carry them? How can I care for them? How can I meet their needs? How can I get them to Jesus? That's your faith saying, Jesus is Lord. I need to get them at his feet. That's the caring faith. And there's a praying faith. There's a caring faith. Both are great. Jesus sees their faith. They're caring faith. They're bringing their friend to him. And he responds and he, he, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is interesting because Jesus seems to change the subject on them. They're dropping down their friend to say, Jesus, will you heal him? And Jesus says, I'm going to forgive him for his sins. And I don't know if the guys up on the roof could hear Jesus at that moment, but I'll tell you who did hear him, the senior pastors and the seminary professors, they hear him and they're ticked off. And that's what we see happen in the next verse. Look at it with me. It says this, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they're thinking to themselves, I mean, who does Jesus think he is? Does he think he's God? Yes, he does. And so that's what they're questioning. They're going, what is going on? Well, and and, and um, Jesus he catches them in it. Next, look at the next verse. He says, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? And all of a sudden they're going, wait, can you hear me? What? Am I thinking too loudly? What's going on? And so they're, they're questioning all sorts of things because Jesus sees their heart. But then look at Jesus' response. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And listen to this for a moment. Jesus simply says to them, hey, what's easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or to get up and walk? And the response would be, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because the moment you say, get up and walk, you got to like demonstrate that, right? It's got to like show instant proof of healing. So it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. That's the whole point. But he says, hey, but to show you that I have authority to forgive sins, let me do the other, which is what we see here in the next verse. It says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So again, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. That's found in Daniel chapter 7, where he talks about how um, he's, 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 he's man, fully man, but he has, he's, he's God and has authority. And so he's saying, let's just show you that I have authority to not only forgive sins, to do God's stuff, I'm going to heal this man of his sickness. And so he says, get up and walk. He shows his great authority and he, and he did to not only heal sin, to heal the man, but also to forgive sins. Then, Look at the next verse. It says, Immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. So immediately he stands up and he goes home. Then, next verse. It says this, Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. 
We have seen remarkable things. It says everyone was amazed. Senior pastors, seminary professors, they're amazed. It says we have seen remarkable things. The, the Greek word is paradoxus, which we get the word paradox. This is not what we expected, but we're seeing this amazing, remarkable thing take place in front of us. We were expecting Jesus maybe to heal, um, but then he starts talking about forgiving sins. But as he's talking about forgiving sins, then he heals. And it's this, it's this powerful thing. Now, um, what I want to do just for a moment is talk a little bit about this relationship between um, sickness and sin. And, and this is, I don't want it, to, it's a complicated thing, and I don't want to oversimplify this relationship, this dynamic between sin and sickness. But I do want to just talk about it briefly because I do think it can be helpful for us in our understanding um, of sin and sickness. And so the first thing that I want you to see is this, that um, sin, all, sorry, all sick is rooted in sin. All sick is rooted in sin. And I say those singular, right? All sick is rooted in sin. Sin singular. That is, when sin entered into the world, the world became broken. And with it, all matter of corruption and decay, including sickness. So the sick that we experience, all kinds of sick in this world, is a result of sin. Sin entering into this world caused this world to be broken. And as a result of that, we experience all kinds of sick and brokenness and decay, and, and are including disease as part of that. So that's, that's the reality of the world that we live in. Now, the other part of that is this, that sometimes some sickness is rooted in sins. Some sickness is rooted in sins. And this is important for us to get to, and there's a distinction there. Again, some Sickness is rooted in sins. That is, um, there are times, and we see it in Scripture, where there's sickness as a result of sins in someone's life. And we see that with King David, for, for instance, in, in Psalm 32, when he was hiding his sin. He said, when I hid my sin, my body wasted away. So that is, he's not being honest about this, his own sin in his life, and it was impacting his whole world, his whole life, including his physical health. So there is times where um, sin and sickness do have this uh, connection. Now, the, the question is, well, is that always the case? No, thank God, right? Can you imagine what would happen if you got sick every single time you sinned? I'd be dead. I wouldn't be here. I'll tell you that right now. So I'm grateful for God's grace and mercy. So I want to be clear that there's times, but it's not always. So that's, that's just an important thing for us to, to understand and for us to get. But Jesus has the ability to not only um, heal the sick, but he has the, reality, the, the ability to um, heal and um, forgive our sins, which is the bigger deal. So this guy got both. He got his, the healing of his body, but he got the greater gift. We got healing of his soul through forgiveness. And this is important, and it's so powerful, and it's, amazing, and it's an amazing thing, and it's important for us to get. So let me just quickly summarize a couple of things. You're here, and you're dealing with sickness. You're dealing with disease. Listen, we can come in faith. You can come in faith and, and, and pray that prayer. Lord, if you're willing, you can, make, you can heal me. You can make me clean. And so it's that sense of, Lord, you're Lord. I'm not. I'm subjecting myself to you. 
and I'm yielding to your will. If you're willing, you can. It's not demanding, it's requesting. We are invited to come to him. Does God always respond? No, we, he, he may not. We don't know, but he still invites us to come and pray. And pray with faith because his, he is powerful and he can heal. And some of you have seen that. Some of you experienced miraculous healing in your own life or you've seen it in someone else's life. The story that I've heard here at this church is the story of Ron Underhill. And some of you know Ron. Some of you know that story. That's the story that I've heard. If someone is just like, okay, I can't explain that. There's no explanation, but God stepped in and there was a miraculous healing. And so that, there's times, but God invites us. He invites us to come. We don't know, so we come and we come in faith. Now, the other side of it is, is what if someone you know and love is sick? or it has disease or illness. Well, we can, we can learn from that second passage, right? Or you know someone who is sick or in sin, we don't know. In fact, it's likely that the guy, this paralytic, was paralyzed because of sin. We don't know. And his friends don't know either. They just have a commitment to say, we're going to take our friend to Jesus, whether he's in sin or sick, whatever it is, we want to get him to the feet of Jesus. And that's powerful. And some of you need to have that kind of carrying faith for your friends. Where you have a friend who's sick or hurting or disease and it's dealing with disease, it's your job to say, I'm going to have the faith to carry them to Jesus no matter what. And here's the thing. It's, it's a remarkable thing. Jesus sees the faith of the friends and he does a remarkable work. And I don't know how that works, quite honestly. Because if Jesus was to check with me, I'd say, Jesus, it doesn't work that way. It's, you can't forgive you can't heal someone because of someone else's faith, or you can't um, forgive their sins because of someone else's faith. But let me tell you something. Guess what? Jesus didn't check with me. And so he sees their faith, and he forgives his sins, and he heals the man. And so I think this is an, a, a powerful thing to recognize that our faith can have remarkable impact in the lives of others. And this ought to be an encouraging thing for any parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, when you have someone in your life, someone who um, just is in a spot, whether they, they aren't getting to Jesus or are pushing away from Jesus, your, your faith can carry them. That God can respond to your faith for them and do remarkable things. And so we don't give up praying. We don't give up coming in faith, saying, God, will you do a work in their life? Because right now, they're not coming or they can't see it. And so I'm coming to you on their behalf, which is a good time to say, what kind of friends do you have? Do you have those kinds of friends in your life? Do you have four friends that will take you to Jesus, whether you're sick or in sin, and their whole goal, I want to get you to Jesus. We need those kinds of friends in our life. We need to up that quality of friendship so we have people say, that's what I'm committed to do for you, and it's powerful. Now, the, the, the last thing I'll just close with is this, that Jesus, we know this, he doesn't always heal, but um, we see here tucked in the middle of this passage, Jesus retreating to pray. Why is that? It's because he wants to stay on purpose, on his mission. His mission didn't come to heal every single person that came to him. His, his mission, his purpose was to bring salvation to everyone. And so he went to the cross. And you know what? He went to the cross. He didn't lay hands on himself and heal himself, right? He, when he was praying in the garden, he was sweating great drops of blood. He was in physical pain. He was in physical, there was physical hardship that he was facing. And yet he forfeited healing for himself so that we could have salvation. 
through faith in his sacrifice on our behalf. It's a beautiful thing. That picture of the dove, the two birds, one that dies so the other might live, this is what Jesus did for you and for me. He died on the cross. His blood was shed so that we could be set free, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have hope of heaven and have body 2.0. Doesn't that sound good? This is what Jesus has done for us. But in the midst of the challenge that we face, whether we're own disease or the disease of someone we care about, we can walk with Jesus. We can step forward with faith in him because he has the power, he has the authority, and he wants to do a great work in our lives, ultimately granting the greatest healing that we need through his faith, faith and his sacrifice on our behalf. Let's take a moment and let's thank him for that now. God, we are so grateful as we come to you that you're a God who understands our challenges, understands our struggles, and you aren't removed from it. In fact, you came and you entered into this broken world, our existence where sin and struggle and death happens. You entered in to provide a solution to our greatest need, and we thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf that his blood was shed so that we might live. Through faith in his work, we can have forgiveness, we can have hope of salvation, eternity with you. At the same time, God, we thank you that you're a God who walks with us, and so we lift up um, the people that we know who are struggling with disease. We lift up to them, and we ask that you would give us the, the kind of faith that the friends had, a carrying faith, that we would be willing to walk with, carry, do whatever it takes to get our friends to you to remind them of your hope, your care, your love, to pray with them, to comfort them, to walk with them. God, we pray, I pray specifically as well for those who are hurting here today, who are struggling with disease, who are struggling with illness, that you would bring people around them to comfort them and encourage them. But more importantly, Lord, I pray that you'd remind them that you're with them. You're a God who knows, you're a God who cares, a God that we can come to with confidence. We thank you, God. In your name, amen.